Merry Christmas, and welcome to this special edition of Mono Dia on Christmas Eve. Merry Christmas, Janelle. Merry Christmas, Tony. You look quite festive with your red uh, sound buffer, whatever that's called. I didn't even think of that. I'm going to have to ask our, our sound tech. What are those called? Windscreens. Windscreens. Yeah, you have a red one. I so, know, I'm so festive. And it so goes festive. with your nice sparkly gray sweater. And look at me, drab white. Vanilla. Yeah. Plain vanilla. Plain vanilla. Where's your Santa hat? I don't have one. What? I don't. <laughs> I, you have crazy talks. <laughs> I know. I should have one. See? That's what you get for making fun of me. Yeah. Excuse me. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. Choke. You make fun of me, you choke. That's what happens. <laughs> you have crazy socks, so you should have I do have crazy socks. Tonight, we have something very special for you. Our monologue is built on a tradition that ministers have done for years, and I have never done it. Mm, what's that? That is, they write <clears throat> a letter to one of the characters that you would find in different Christmas stories that are told around Christmas. Elf. Yes. Will so you could, you could write a letter to Elf. <laughs> you could write a letter to Santa. You could write a letter to a reindeer. The abominable snowman or whatever he is up north. I don't Rudolph's know. Rudolph's nemesis. Does he read? Yeah. Oh, okay. And yeah, if yeah. he doesn't, someone could read it for him, I guess. I guess so. Yeah. So tonight, I'm going to do that. And it's actually a tradition that will be new for me. And so in order mm -hmm. to get help, because I've never done this before, I got on the internet and did the old Google search thing. And <laughs> while I was doing that, mm -hmm. I came across this sermon that was written by a Unitarian minister. Okay. And I found it phenomenal. Really? So I Why? took it and I, I molded it mm -hmm. for myself. So there's enough of it that it reminds me of his work, but it's enough that it actually became a little bit more personal and for me. Really? And so I, I, I am greatly indebted to him. And down in the show notes, uh -huh. we will have <clears throat> his name and a link to where you can go and actually find the original. Absolutely. So that will be available. But that's what we're going to be doing is we, this letter is written mm -hmm. to the one and only Jacob Marley. That sounds like a ball player. Yeah. Well, no, he's a lawyer. Oh, Jacob Marley was uh, Ebenezer Scrooge's oh, right. friend, a Christmas, carol. a Christmas Carol, who died right. some seven years before Scrooge had his <clears throat> ominous Christmas Eve conversion. Yeah, I was going to say trip. <laughs> <laughs> it was a conversion, don't you think? It was a... It was a converting trip. Okay. I mean, that was... That's for sure. Before we go further, though, I want yes. to remind people that they can chime in afterwards when we dialogue about this. And how might they do that? They can text uh, to 480-389-4974. I'm watching the text. Or you can go to our YouTube page 
or our Facebook page, Facebook Live. And if they are listening to this as not necessarily live, but later as a podcast, mm -hmm. and they'd like to share any comments. And by the way, we do read those comments, and we greatly appreciate them, and yeah. we reply to them. So those of you who've already emailed us, thank you. Mm -hmm. We look forward to hearing from more. And where might they be able to email us? I would direct you to media at beatitudeschurch.org. All right. And if you can spell that, you get a gold star. I do or they do? They do. Oh. You want me to spell out Beatitudes? Please. B-E-A-T-I-T-U-D-E-S. How long did it take you to learn that? Not long. Yeah? I'm a valedictorian. Yeah, that took me a long time. I'm not a valedictorian. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, all right. Well, we're going to take a short back a break, and we will be back. See, I... Instead of saying break, I said back, and then back, I said break. What's going on with you? It's Christmas Eve. That's what's going on. I think you're on. scared of ghosts. Yeah, that too. <laughs> that might be the real reason. I, I think it is the real reason. <laughs> All right, we'll be right back. To the Honorable Jacob Marley Esquire, greetings to you from the 21st century. I'm fairly sure you don't know me. My name is Tony Minear, and I am the minister at Church of the Beatitudes in Phoenix, Arizona, probably a place you have no idea where it's at. Well, the reason I'm writing to you is because this time of year, you usually pop up in my mind being, you know, being Christmas and everything. Well, I first heard of you when I was a kid, when I saw my, one of my favorite movies, Mickey's Christmas Carol. Over time, I was exposed to various renderings of your fantastic, great story. Well, in this letter, I wanna share some of my thoughts and feelings that awaken when I hear about you in A Christmas Story. In each retelling of your story, you are presented as a, I'm gonna be very honest with you and blunt, a fearsome creature. I mean, just the pictures and images that we try to depict of you today, well, they scare any kid. But as scary as you are, I actually feel sorry for you. Now, when I listen to the Christmas story, by the end of it, I feel really good because Scrooge's hard heart melts with goodwill and compassion. Yet, despite all of these warm, fuzzy feelings I have inside, I have this nagging sense that when the story is ended, well, to be honest with you, Marley, I think you got a bum deal. It's hard to believe that Charles Dickens, now again, he's a great author who wrote such a beautiful story about Scrooge, would in the process condemn another, and, and that is you, Marley, to an eternal hellish afterlife that is wandering the world forever carrying the weight of every misdeed and bad decision you ever made. Quite frankly, it's not fair. And it seems to me that it's time, well, it's about time some goodwill finally came your way. Please, forgive me. Forgive me if I'm prying too much into your personal affairs. But the more I think about these things, the more questions come into my mind. 
I'm not asking you to answer these questions, but, but frankly, I got to get these off my chest. Here's the, here they go. Why is it that you must play the part of the messenger of Scrooge's salvation, yet you were never given the same chance? Why is it no one, I mean, no one ever came as a fearsome ghost or even a nice ghost to visit you before you died? What forces of the universe declared that Scrooge would have the opportunity to change his heart while you, well, you are merely a messenger, an afterthought, a footnote to someone else's story? I wonder something else, Marley. In the story, you say that as a ghost, you wear the chain you forged in life. In quoting your words, you said, I made it link by link. I girded it on my own free will, and of my own free will, I wore it. Now, I understand that the chain you wear in death is one that you made unwittingly in life. And that each link represents each time during your life when you acted spiteful, miserly, unforgiving, yes, and even heartless. But it sounds like when you became a ghost, that is, after you died, you finally grasp how atrociously you behaved while you were alive. So my question is, why must you continue to wear those chains of your past? Now, if as the story suggests, you were as mean and miserly as Scrooge, well, I can understand why you had no friends. And I can understand why you ended up dying alone. And yet, it seems to me that the price you continue to pay for your earthly transgressions is just way too high. So I went back to the story, and I read again about the parts specifically about you to see if I could find additional clues about your fate. In your last moment with Scrooge, you said something that really caught my attention. And not only did it was there words from you, but it was also words from your kindred, miserable spirits. And this is what I read. The air was filled with phantoms, wandering hither and thither in restless haste, and moaning as they went. Every one of them wore chains like Marley's ghost. Some were linked together. None, however, were free. The misery with them all was clearly that they sought to interfere for good in human matters, and it lost the power forever. Well, Marley, this is as beautiful and as terrible a description of hell as I've ever read. To learn a last, le lasting lesson about life only after you're dead, and then, on top of that, you're not able to do anything about it. I imagine that is as painful an existence as anyone could imagine. Yet when I read this passage again, I found something I missed the first time. That last line, it says that all of you phantoms had forever lost the power to interfere for the good in human matters. Well, that's a lie. Yeah, you heard me right. That's a lie. 
or at least that passage is not telling the entire truth, it's not accurate. It may be that some of you, like some of us, do not wish to interfere for good in human matters. But you, you, Marley, are different. You had a relationship with Scrooge. You were his business partner. You knew him as well as it was possible to know him. And yet, in the end, you were more than just an acquaintance. You were not just a footnote to someone else's story. You, Marley, are a messenger. And what you brought to Scrooge that Christmas Eve night long ago, well, frankly, that was a message of hope. This is what you said. I am here tonight to warn you that you have yet a chance and hope of escaping my fate, Ebenezer. This message you bring to Scrooge by the fact that you even appeared to Scrooge in the first place is proof and proof that you did and you can interfere for good in human affairs. And as I ponder this even more, I realize not only did you interfere for the good in Scrooge's life, but you also continue to interfere for the good of inhuman lives each year when a Christmas carol, when that story is retold. In fact, the more I think about it, the more I begin to suspect that the work you do as a ghost, well, it's more meaningful for you now, more meaningful than any work you ever did in your former life. Your work, and let's just be honest, your calling as a ghost is to bring a message of hope, a message about how possible it is at any moment in our lives to turn around and take another path. And that, I realize, is exactly the message needed to be heard this Christmas season. The eternal option at any moment is to be aware of and even honor forgiveness and love. For that truly is the message of a loving God. It is also the message of Jesus, Buddha, Allah, and the message of each and every one of our own experiences from the web of relationships in which we exist as children in this universe. I only wish we could all be so fortunate as Scrooge to have a visit from a phantom messenger such as you. So Jacob Marley, if you are still wandering the earth, a ghost fettered with the weight of all your sins and misdeeds, taking on many shapes and personages, bringing a message of love and hope, I want to ask you a favor. If I may be so bold, and if you do not find it too impertinent, I ask if you could make midnight visits sometime in this next year to each and every one of us. I ask you to hold before us the visions of Christmases that are yet to come and the myriad potential consequences 
of our actions. I ask that you help remind us, as you helped remind Scrooge, of the true essence of a life well-lived and a life overflowing with generosity and compassion for others, and in turn, for ourselves. Thank you for your time, and Merry Christmas. Sincerely, Tony Manier. We'll be right back. to start out with a fun question please do you believe in ghosts yeah uh you know i <laughs> you're gonna make fun of me because i'm not gonna answer you <laughs> come on i i don't know i i honestly don't know i there have been experiences that people have described to me that i was not able to other than if i looked at them and said well no you're making up stuff uh-huh I don't know how to, to respond. There were things that... The other thing that I found interesting is one time while I was in St. Louis, we went to this old, uh, kind of like a wealthy, old-fashioned house. Mansion. Yeah, mansion. That would be it. Uh-huh. And they served you meals, mm-hmm. and it was haunted. Mm-hmm. And they said that orbs would appear. I didn't even know what orbs, doing the brown. Yeah, the lights, the yeah. balls of light. So we did a group picture. Okay. And when I looked in the phone. <laughs> there was an orb of light. And guess where the orbs were? Right above your All head? All around my chest. Oh, oh. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. What so, could that mean? I don't know. So I don't know if I believe in ghosts or not. What about you? <laughs> Do you believe in ghosts? I don't not believe in them. <laughs> she's definitely not an English major <laughs> yeah that was a double negative I haven't had any reason not to believe in them so I'm I'm still I'm kind of skeptical but I mean, I why mean, not it, it even raises the I mean and that, I know that's not the direction we're going but no. it even raises the whole question of you know life after death Yes. It's so what you we mentioned want, but that ghost that he his ghost had a calling. Yeah. 
So ghosts have a calling? Well, according to Charles Dickens, yeah. Okay. He, you know, when you read A Christmas Story, mm-hmm. there, there's a, a book Christmas and a, a Christmas Carol. And I can't remember the actual name of the book, but there's a book that an individual wrote who gives you the text of A Christmas Carol. Mm-hmm. And then it gives allusions that Charles Dickens did mm-hmm. to the Bible. Yes. And in many ways, for Marley to have this calling uh-huh. has spiritual overtones, which would make perfect sense with what um, Dickens was trying to do, I believe. I believe so. I actually did a little research on Mr. Dickens. And he... Unitarian. He was Unitarian. Yeah. He grew up Anglican. Yep. And then became Unitarian. Yep. Which this sermon you said you got from a Unitarian pastor, did you not? I did. And, and, and in the original sermon, he actually speaks of Dickens and being Unitarian. Oh, he does? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, what I read, he, he wanted his novels to be like the parables that Jesus told. And, and immediately for me... and. I'm sure some of our listeners also picked up on this mm-hmm. is it reminds me of the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Oh, right. The rich man is wealthy and uh, Lazarus is this poor beggar and he's asking for something and rich man turns him down. Mm-hmm. And when they die, Lazarus ends up in the good place. And the, hmm. the, uh, the rich man is kind of in this, place where he's getting ready to go to the bad place and he calls out <laughs> and he says to La- to God he says hey at least send Lazarus to warn my brothers so they don't uh-huh. end up where I am right well that's exactly what a Christmas carol is that's e- right except Lazarus here actually goes and warns gets to warn them yeah right Dickens had said that all of my social abuses abuses are shown as departures from the spirit of God. Mm. So I think I'm thinking this is a tale of conversion. I mentioned that earlier and that this really provides the contrast for everybody. Doesn't it explain? Well, let's bring up salvation. Okay. Let's (laughs) Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve. Why not? (laughs) So, <laughs> I don't know if we've had enough wine to, to talk about salvation, salvation yet. <laughs> oh, come on. This is fun. All right. Go ahead. Join me. Please. <laughs> They're part of the Christian doctrine. Yes. But, okay. So, it's a tool of control then. And whoa, 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 it's whoa, a whoa. scapegoat for people. Okay. Now, you're going to have to unpack that. Don't you think? Unwrap that Christmas gift. <laughs> well... It could have been used as a tool for control. Give me an example of that. So that that you're living your life Oh, so a way to get other people to behave. Yes. Yeah, that's actually true. Because if you think about going back into the time in evolution when we were primarily hunter-gatherers. Yeah. We were, there were small little tribes that existed and everyone knew everyone. Right. And then over time, once we became more of a agricultural society, yeah. we started living in cities and we had more people. Mm-hmm. More people means you have less knowledge of them and less control of them. Mm-hmm. And in turn, how do you control them? Right. Ta-da. Doctrine God, of God salvation. comes in and God knows what's good or bad. He mm-hmm. knows who's naughty or nice and he's making lists. 
and he's checking, checking it, it twice. twice. <laughs> nice. Yeah, so it is. It, it was a way of having control uh-huh. over other human beings. I agree with you. So the chains that Dickens refers to mm-hmm. might be the chains of expectations because Ooh. we're now looking at the future, are we not? And not living in the present. We're worried about the future. Uh, and that's what Marley represents. Well, Marley also represents our past because he says that every single one of those links was a, a misdeed. That's true. And if you think about that, that every action, and that's what I like about the very end of this monologue, mm-hmm. was when it talks about that we would look into the future of Christmases mm-hmm. and understand that all of our actions have consequences. I think Marley's a perfect example of that. That everything we do, we may be able, I think a lot of people struggle with the idea of forgiving themselves, number one. True. I mean, it's one thing to say, well, God forgave me or this person forgave me. But I think we carry a lot of our own guilt around with us. and And a lot of a sense of not being able to forgive ourselves. So I think in some ways that's those chains. However, the consequences of those actions, even if you can forgive yourself, Mm -hmm. those consequences we all carry along with us for good or ill. We do carry them. Very true. So in that way, I think that's where I see the chains. And I find it fascinating that Dickens never took them off of him. No, as he did not also, (laughs) I found this little nugget of information. He had a, a, a wrap around his head. Yes. And it was to hold his jaw up. Really? I didn't know this. Because I guess when you die, it goes slack. Well, you have no muscles. Right. Yeah. So they would, in those days, they would tie your jaw oh. shut. And so I don't know if he actually Don't get any ideas. Don't get any ideas. <laughs> you want me to tie Don't you tie up? my jaw shut. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> but they also d- thought that maybe he died of a toothache. Oh. And that's why it was wrapped around. But I think it's because it, to keep him quiet. I don't know, though, because he talks in this. Well, that's that's what I don't understand. Well, but if he died of a toothache, think about if it abscessed. Yeah, what a way to go. Oh, that would suck. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, no. So I think... Um, he was definitely, his identity was all about suffering, right? I think he, what I really liked about it is, in, in going back to the, your idea of salvation, mm-hmm. he definitely, before Scrooge underwent his conversion, yeah, Marley has one. When? After he dies. But he's still in hell. Well, he doesn't say he's in hell. It says he's a messenger wandering on the earth. Okay. And so maybe Marley Suffering comes. The well, weight of the chains. Right. And but again, we don't know if that's because of his choice mm-hmm. or if that was a a force or an entity mm-hmm. that made him keep those. That it, it doesn't tell us. No, it does not. So in some ways you could say though that Marley, I mean, if he was really still very selfish ego-centered. Yes. Why would he go and talk to Scrooge? But he's actually going to Scrooge, and he says it himself. He says, this is a message of hope. Uh-huh. So I think... He's helping s- Scrooge. Exactly. So in some ways, you could say that was a conversion. Before... That's true. He really kind of just looked over himself and made sure that he was okay. 
me and mine. But afterwards, he's willing to visit and say, hey, look, fix it. Fix right. it now. Justice is being served for me, so yeah. you shouldn't go through this. And I love what the the author of this, um, originally a sermon, what he did. What? And that he talks about how Marley sees this as an opportunity to forewarn individuals. And it actually, he says in the text, this uh, pastor, he said that mm -hmm. perhaps you find more fulfillment in your job as a messenger than you ever did as a lawyer. <laughs> wow. That you actually seem to have more meaning in life in the afterlife than you do when you were alive. That's probably true. I don't know. And in some ways, you in some ways you stop and think about you know what if there is if there are ghosts if there is an afterlife. Uh huh. Wouldn't that be a pity that afterwards we ended up whatever we end up being or doing uh -huh. that we look back at our life and say. But that's such a static view of the future. I don't know. I mean, why can't it be more dynamic? I mean, it just. Well, that's a like good point. My question is, that's is a there point. a list of salvation points you got to check off? Well, according to some, yes. Where's that list? I'd like to read it. Well, I mean, I don't know <laughs> if it's explicitly found in the Bible, but implicitly it's implied that, uh -huh. I mean, it's the steps of salvation. You have to confess and admit that you were a sinner, okay. that you were in need of a Savior, uh -huh. and then Jesus died uh, for your sins and rose from the dead, uh -huh. and you now accept Jesus as your Savior and his death for you, and you now rise into becoming a new being. That and would be the, the steps of doctrine. the traditional evangelical yeah. fundamental. That's what I was going to say. This yeah. sounds very fundamental and evangelical. Yeah. So not all Christians. No, but I think that would be the majority of Christians. And if you go back in time with creeds, that, mm -hmm. that view tended to be the popular view. Oh. I'm not going to say that that was the Christian view because it, that's probably a misuse of the word, of, of the word Christian, because mm. from the very beginning, right after Jesus died, you had these splinter groups that mm -hmm. everyone kind of had their own way of looking and understanding Jesus. So I think the same thing to say that salvation is just like, well, that was what Christianity is. Mm -hmm. It may be the popular expression of Christianity, but that does not mean that that has a hold on what Christianity truly is. Now, I know there, there are people that would disagree with me on that. But I, again, if you study early church history, you find out that, man, again, that expression, without, orth, um, without heresy, there is no orthodoxy. <laughs> Someone's got to be wrong. Right. So I don't, maybe you can clue me in on uh, the Anglican religion. Mm -hmm. If he made a conversion to Unitarian, what does that actually mean? Well, Anglican is a break off. This, man, it's been a while since church history, but my understanding, if I remember correctly, and if I'm wrong, please correct me. I, mm -hmm. I would love to get a, a tech email to, to straighten me out. Um, my understanding is the Church of England was a broke off from the Roman Catholic Church. Yeah. And Anglicans became uh, the official religion of England. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of the beliefs were very similar to Roman Catholicism. 
Oh, okay. I don't know the details on where the differences lie. Yeah. For him to switch from that to Unitarian is a huge a switch. Huge jump. Yeah, big jump. So Unitarian is very liberal, is what you're saying? Or how is it different? A lot more open. A lot more open. Okay. You have, actually, my, the last I read about it was you had the Unitarians mm -hmm. join with the Universalist. And that's why mm -hmm. it's now called Unitarian Universalist or UU. Oh. And those two actually join together. Yeah. And so, so that's and interesting. They, if you look at the, the novel, it's the Christmas Carol. Yes. If it doesn't reflect that. Isn't that beautiful, though? Yeah. And it's, yeah. Very good point. And it's beautiful to think hmm. about when you look at that some of the rich tradition that Dickens may have grown up with mm -hmm. still finds its way into the Christmas Carol. Right. Yeah. Oh, for sure. That's pretty cool. Yeah. That's a great little no novella, I believe Ooh, it is. Ooh, look at now you. Now I'm really nah. digging into my literature roots, right? <laughs> Everyone listening, um, look impressed. <laughs> <laughs> Good job. <laughs> so, Ebenezer, yes. had he not... I mean, it's funny that they would put, that he put uh, Marley first mm. before the other three ghosts. ghosts. Mm -hmm. He sets it up beautifully yes, for Christmas past, present, present and, and future. future. Yep. But does Marley come back in the end? Yes, I believe so. I didn't, I don't remember the carol, the... I, and I may be wrong. I, yeah, I shouldn't say that, but I thought he did. But it's been a long time huh. since I looked at it. I'd like to know how it's wrapped up. Yeah. We are not very prepared on that, oh, are we? we are not. <laughs> I should have read it, right? Yeah, this is not a busy time of the year in churches, is it? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> We're no, at service two of three. It's yeah, not busy. You know, Ebenezer, to me... It's really one of the things I was pondering this week when I was playing with this text was mm -hmm. he really had the ultimate Christmas. How so? Think about it. I mean, he, Christmas, you know, kind of that bah humbug, that kind of mm -hmm. feel. Mm -hmm. And in some ways, when you watch it, at least when you read the book, it seems like he's not overly a happy, pleasant person. No. And no, he had like, he lost a girl way back when and just got greedy. Well, again, you think about if you lose what gave you meaning in life, mm -hmm. then you try to find it somewhere else. And I think that's where he got off on a tangent in looking for meaning through acquiring more and more things. And then ultimately he realized like, man, and I think that's what the story tells us, is that it doesn't fulfill you. And I think that's when Marley comes back and he says, no, nah, right. wake up, buddy, wake up. That's what it's time about. to make a switch. And that's why, to me, it's, it gives you the ultimate Christmas, mm -hmm. that he has this Christmas Eve experience and he wakes up Christmas morning and he finds a whole new meaning in what life should really be like. In that way, I like also what this author did with the text. Mm -hmm. When he talked about at the very end, when he said that ask Marley to visit each and every one of us. Yeah, that was now, great. Now he, the original author, he went on and talked about asking 
Marley to visit specific groups of people. For sake of time, I excluded those and made it very general. But yeah, he talks about visiting political leaders. Oh. um, Visiting people who are hurting other people, things like that. Which wow. was is really fascinating when he with that much detail. But I found it to be quite intriguing that he has this idea that Marley is not done. That's the that's the mm-hmm. good news. Marley's not done. He still has a purpose. <laughs> exactly. And it's a purpose that each and he every has one a calling of us as a ghost. Yeah. Whoever thought. Yeah. And sometimes don't you think that might be, you know, you talking about being a ghost, but in some ways Sometimes I think it takes a ghost or something <laughs> to startle you. Yeah, into to, to kind of give you that wake up call. Like, <laughs> if I keep going on this path, it's probably not going to end well for me. Right. And then not in the sense of like I'm going to die or end up in prison or, but but more in the sense of this is there's more to life than this. Right. Kind of what Marley experienced after death was like. You know, I'm, I'm carrying around my past mm-hmm. in the form of these chains. And even though I have new opportunities, I've wasted a lot. Yeah. I also heard the chains were made out of money. Ooh. Which would really... Get you some of those. Well, <laughs> no. <laughs> the point of that <laughs> being <laughs> his greed is, is forever holding oh, him in eternal well, that's, punishment. That's interesting. I love, and again, there's another thing in the text that I like what he did when he talks about, was it, was it his conscious mm-hmm. that really was the, mm. the chains? So the chains yeah. are, are a are figurative for his own conscience that was awoken yeah. after death when he realized like, wow, I had a lot that I wasted my time and there was a lot of stuff I could have done instead. Wow. Song. Well, I think that's a good wrap up. Good wrap up. All right. Well, we are coming to the end of a year, which means that next, this coming Sunday, we will not be having Monodia. That's right. And we will not be having it also the January 2nd. January 2nd. Well, it's actually a closer look. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we will be back with Monodia on January 9th. 9th. All right. Yeah. So until then, have yourself a Merry Christmas <laughs> and a Happy New Year. And no matter what you are doing in life, stop and see if you can hear the voice of Marley giving you a message of hope. Perhaps this is an opportunity as the year comes to an end for you to stop and reflect upon and make sure that the the life you're charting, the direction you're going is where you really wanna be. Until we see you again, take care and stay safe out there.